Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Join with me as we just come to prayer, as we just shout out to the Lord together. Father, obviously our songs and our scripture have pointed out to the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ was for us. And look forward to the message that continued to expound that theme. I'm reminded of Isaiah where you say, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Father, we could not turn to you unless you were to call and draw us. As John the Gospel says, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Father, we have amongst us this morning many who have proclaimed you and have turned towards you that have saw you lifted up. There may be some this morning that may have not. In any case, we bring glory and praise to you and thank you. For God so loved the world, the Bible tells us, that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in the order in the world might be saved through him. And so we come together as your body to give you thanks with a grateful heart for calling us, drawing us to yourself, for sending your son, lifting him up, Lord, that our sins may be paid for, that our sins may be put on another, that the innocent may die for the guilty. And with that, we can stand being made right before you. Lord, let us live that out. May it give us comfort, may it give us joy, and may it give us the motivation to share the good news. Lord, we pray that you just continue to be with us the rest of this service. Open up our minds and hearts to your word and to your truth. I pray that you would just bless Randy as he brings to us the word of God. Lord, that we may respond to the Spirit's work. and That all of God's people may say amen. We agree. We pray this in the name of your Son, who makes all things possible for us in this world and the next. And God's people said... Oh, we have a good God. All right, well, death, life, darkness, light, judgment, mercy. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we tackle big themes here week after week. And Rob and Dustin and Landon do an incredible job of bringing God's truth, God's word to us in a very clean and thorough and patient manner so that we can understand and know how they impact our lives. And so I hope to do the same today. Will you please join me in praying for the message this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, would you please guide us? Would you open our minds, open our hearts? Lord, would you please bring your word, not mine? I ask you to bless the message this morning and bless our time here. And we thank you that you give us this time together. Pray and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm starting out today 
by telling you this, you must be pure, you must be clean, holy, righteous, perfect. You must be these things. Why? Because God is. And if you want to be with God, you must be all of these things. He says there can be nothing in his presence with even a speck of impurity or unholiness or unrighteousness or uncleanness. No imperfection, no spot, no blemish, not even the slightest hint of anything amiss. In him there is no darkness at all, according to 1 John 1.5. Or to put it another way, God is light. He says in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, Be holy, for I am holy. That's a tall order. And in the New Testament book of Hebrews, the author writes that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This means that you and I cannot ever, ever have done anything or thought anything or said anything that is outside of God's holy standards, which of course is impossible since we are born with sin from the day we come into the world. So basically, according to God's law, I am a dead man. And so are you. Now, if we die and are judged based solely on the holiness of our living, we wouldn't have the slightest chance of seeing the Lord. In fact, we would be condemned to hell, which is why we so desperately need a Savior, one who is holy, why we fall on our knees with gratitude and worship that we are blessed with Jesus Christ's holiness and his purity just for believing and trusting in him and what he did for us. So we have eternal life because of Jesus Christ's righteousness. But can I share with you how I struggled to comprehend that when I was younger? And maybe you've struggled with this at times too. And for me, it stemmed from common Christian phrases that I heard. They're sayings that I heard for years from Christian friends, from my Christian girlfriend in high school, from the smattering of church services that I attended. And I heard them all the time, and yet I really wasn't sure exactly what they really meant. They seem kind of elementary now, perfectly plausible, but at that time they didn't, even though I knew they were important. In fact, they dealt with serious things, very serious things. And they were serious things that involved me somehow. And God said they involved me. And I commonly heard them. I commonly heard other sayings like them. And I came to accept them even. But I still scratched my head a bit because I didn't have a real complete understanding. My hope today is to illuminate these sayings for you in a new and hopefully deeper way this morning, but also in a very simple way. Now, I'm not going to ask you to memorize them, because you already know them. You've already heard them. I'm sure most of you have even used these sayings yourselves, maybe many times. And here they are. Jesus died for me. Jesus went to the cross for me. 
He nailed my sins to the cross. Jesus died in my place. Now these are all truths. Perfect, theologically sound, God-given truths. And yet they hardly make any sense if you don't know the Bible. And they make a bit of sense if you kind of have a, just a passing notion of the Bible. They make more sense if you know the New Testament. But they really only make complete sense if you know the Old Testament along with the New Testament. Yes, the Old Testament. We heard Rob reading from Leviticus earlier. Old Testament. How does that apply? We're going to cover that. But I wanted to talk about this because as our culture today moves further and further away from biblical truth, more and more people will grow up without having a knowledge of even the basics. So as we engage them and we try to talk to them, throwing phrases out like this or speaking kind of in Christian language, we sometimes refer to it as Christianese, that's really not going to help in a lot of circumstances. So my hope is for believers and non-believers to have a very practical understanding of Jesus' death and what it meant for them and what it means for them now. Well, the big question is, why did he have to die? In fact, what is the whole thing with death? The scripture reading was putting your hands on a goat and sacrificing animals. Death and a cross. And I'm taking you back when I was struggling to comprehend it, I would ask, how does that have anything to do with me, especially 2,000-some years later? Here's another one you'll hear a lot. He died to pay for my sins. Huh? Why? Like most of you, I'm sure I understood at some point that I wasn't perfect. I'm sure that revelation came to me after my teenage years. But that I made mistakes, that I wasn't the most righteous person. Realized that I didn't care that much about God. And sins... I didn't know there was a price on those. He had to pay for me. My imperfection as a human being actually had a price tag on it. And this was to get me to heaven with him. I just didn't get it. I felt like if God wanted to forgive me for my mistakes, why couldn't he just make up his mind to do it and do it? Why couldn't he snap his famous fingers and, I don't know, twitch his beautiful nose and and just make it happen. I mean, you read that he merely spoke, and the entire universe and all that is in it came to be. So you mean he couldn't just speak me into heaven with him? And it took some time, but I came to realize that that's the approach I might have taken if I were in charge of the universe. Thankfully, I'm not, and that's not God's way. Remember, his mind is not our mind. His ways are not our ways. God says in Isaiah 55, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So who are we to question God's methods or his plan? In his infinite wisdom, he created one way to deal with everyone's sin. It's the most serious way. It's by death. God required a death for sin. We read that in Romans 6.23. It's a familiar passage. The wages of sin is death. And wages means payment. So the payment for sin is death. 
And that's the way he set it up, actually, from the moment of the very first sin. Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, when Eve sinned, and then Adam sinned, the first thing that happened is their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they took fig leaves, and they made coverings for themselves. Then God came and made loincloths out of animal skins to close them. And this required the death of an animal. This is the first indication of animal sacrifice to cover sin. He also separated them from his presence. The result of sin, immediately, he took them out of the garden. And he actually put up guards so they wouldn't be back. So you have a physical death in the animal. You also have the spiritual death. The consequence of sin is spiritual death, which is separation from God. Later, God instituted for his people Israel the system of animal sacrifices in the tabernacle. This was to atone for sin. Again, God required a death for sin. Sin happened, and something or someone had to die. Now, God graciously allowed the Israelites to symbolically place their sin upon the animals and shed their blood instead of their own. And the death of the animal in the tabernacle, which was in his presence, that covered the penalty of death for sin that God required. And Moses goes into exacting detail of this system in that third book of the Bible, which is Leviticus. I encourage you to read it. Usually most of us get into it and... We don't want to keep going, but get into it. I mean, just as you could tell just from the reading, this system could be very burdensome, mainly because it had to be done over and over and over. It was time-consuming. It could be expensive with the cost of the animals and all. And there were strict rules and regulations about what had to be done. They had to follow it to a T. What's worse is you could go through all of that and the death of the animal only covered up your sin for a limited time. So sin had to be covered or atoned for repeatedly throughout a person's life. While it may have been burdensome, and you and I might find that hard to imagine going through all that, it also was a beautiful and gracious picture of God's love for his people. Jay Sklar a longtime professor of Old Testament at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He put it this way. He wrote, How in the world can the holy and pure king of the universe dwell among his sinful and impure people? How can he live here in our very midst without his holiness melting us in our sin and impurity? Answer, Leviticus which begins by explaining the sacrifices that address sin and enable his people to worship this king rightly. Answer, Leviticus, which provides them with priests to intercede on their behalf and lead them in worship before the king. Answer, Leviticus, which gives them laws to teach them how to deal properly with impurity. Answer, which provides a yearly ceremony to remove every last ounce of sin and impurity from the kingdom. And answer, which provides a whole series of laws in other areas to direct them in living like a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, 
In short, while we look at Leviticus as a burden, the Israelites looked at it as a life preserver. It was the very thing that taught them how to live in relationship with this king who had just entered into covenant with them and descended into their very midst. I think that's well put. So a sacrifice, a priest to intercede for people, a covenant, and holiness. These certainly describe atonement in Moses' day, and that was a limited atonement. But it also describes the eternal atonement found in Jesus Christ. He became the sacrifice. He is our high priest. He is the atonement for sin. He is eternal. He ushered in the new covenant. And that new covenant is forever. And he is holiness and without sin. Now you might remember around Christmas time, we had a series of messages about Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, Jesus as savior, and Jesus as king. And it's primarily because of the Bible's great detailed accounts in Leviticus, the Psalms, the New Testament Gospels, and the book of Hebrews that we see how Jesus' death is the end game foreshadowed in the Old Testament. As I was preparing for this, I was going through the uh, ESV study Bible, uh, and the notes for Leviticus clearly connect the Old Testament sacrifice with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And these are three notes that were pulled out that I think were particularly interesting. Christ's atoning work made obsolete the literal observance of not only the animal sacrifices and offerings, but also the temple worship as a whole. Then Jesus Christ fulfilled the goals of the various offerings, the holy objects, the role of the chief priest, and the holy feasts. And they also say, without doubt, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the culmination of salvation history. The note writers, they also point out that the New Testament authors, such as Paul and Peter, they use language taken from Leviticus as they exhort believers to follow Jesus Christ. Again, connecting the Old Testament sacrifice to the New. They use the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering to explain what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the ESV notes conclude, thus, the book of Leviticus serves as a constant reminder of the person and work of Jesus Christ and challenges believers to apply his gospel. Now, you remember that I said, according to God's law, I am a dead man? Well, God's law is the Ten Commandments. We know that. Ten Commandments. They are, have no other gods before me. Make no carved image and bow down to it. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor, and do not covet. Most people, if you ask them, do they keep the Ten Commandments? They will say they do, or then they'll start to add quickly little qualifiers like, well, I keep most of them, or, you know, I try my best to keep them. And there's the oldie but the goodie. Look, I'm basically a good person. Nobody's perfect. Yet God established that his standard is perfection. So nobody's perfect, but God is. Remember, you must be pure, holy, spotless, righteous, 
clean, without blemish, to be in the presence of God. So then perfection not only would be keeping all of the Ten Commandments for your entire life, but doing so with a completely pure motive and a pure heart and always doing the right thing for the right reason. It's not enough just to do a good work outwardly. We know that. Old Testament prophet Isaiah said even the best good works without the pure motive to glorify God amount to filthy rags in his sight. Why? Well, because even our good works, even the best that we can do is tainted by sin. Our good works just aren't good enough. There's no point system that puts you into God's presence in heaven. It's like he pulled the plug on the scoreboard. There's no lights there. One of the things I really love is a question and answer method. Evangelist Ray Comfort likes to use with people. He will ask the person if he or she knows without any doubt that when they die, they're going to heaven. And most of the time, the response is yes. And then he asks, well, what makes you so sure? And usually the answer is a variation on, well, I've been a good person all my life, or I've done more good than bad, something like that. That's when the conversation gets fun. And Ray takes them right to the Ten Commandments. He says, God has a standard that he uses to measure whether a person is good. That standard is called the Ten Commandments. Have you heard of them? Even today, most people still have. God says you must obey them, Ray will, will continue. And since that's God's standard, let's see how you're doing, okay? Have you ever lied? Ever? In your entire life, have you ever told a lie? Most people say they have. Well, what does that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen something? Anything. Your entire life. It doesn't matter how big or how small. The value of it doesn't matter. Have you ever taken something that's not yours? Most people admit they have. So what does that make you? A thief. Have you ever gotten angry at someone? Jesus warned that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He equated anger with committing murder in your heart. Have you ever gotten angry with someone? Most people say they have. Ray will say, since anger is the same as murder in your heart, then according to God, what does that make you? A murderer. God says, if you look upon another man or woman who is not your spouse with lust in your heart, it is the same as committing adultery. Have you ever looked upon a man or woman other than your spouse with lust? Most people admit doing so. Then Ray says, so by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. And we've only covered four of the Ten Commandments. So at this point, it looks pretty bleak for the person. And they're certainly not ready to invite Ray over for dinner and put him on their Christmas card list. So Ray continues with the truth from the Old Testament. He says, God says that if you break even one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken them all. The punishment for breaking God's law is death. Do you see the predicament you're in? I would ask you, do you see the predicament we're all in? So let's just take one commandment, the one that Jesus said is the first and greatest commandment. To have no other gods before him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Who among us has kept this commandment, just this one, every minute of every day with the proper motive? 
Again, do you see the predicament that we are all in? Nonetheless, the notion persists that we are all basically good. I don't understand how that can persist. There's a column in the Orange County Register newspaper. I find it kind of interesting. It's called OC Watchdog, and it's a standing article. They use that to report on corruption, whether it's in government agencies or in businesses that do business with the public. They have had a report in this column every day for years. That's 365 times for at least the past five years. They've had a report every day. We're into the thousands of cases of corruption that harm the public. And these are only the ones that a few newspaper reporters have been able to find out about and report on. The corruption has been in all levels of government, from local boards, city councils, water agencies, the Board of Supervisors. This doesn't even touch on state level, national level, international level politics and industry, not to mention global terrorism and such. So when I hear someone proclaim they think everyone is basically good, I marvel at their assessment. How do they get there? They must not pay any attention to the world at large because we can see that's not the case. If everyone were basically good, for example, this column would dry up. There wouldn't even be a column like that. Or it would be so rare as to be shocking. It's not shocking anymore. You might have been interested recently, I believe it was last month, the Dalai Lama came to Orange County, actually. And he gave some high-profile public talks and speeches over the course of a few days. And our mainstream media, of course, gushed over the Dalai Lama. They were almost slobbering in their affection for him and termed him his holiness and referred to him as a spiritual icon and a spiritual leader. And he repeatedly talked about the need to exercise compassion and kindness. And these are absolutely fine and good. They're very noble, of course. They're also very popular. It's easy to applaud general kindness. Who wouldn't do that? Who's not in favor of compassion? But then this monk from Tibet asserted that, and this is, quote, basic human nature is compassionate. And he added this, ultimate wisdom comes from within. You are your own master. That, too, is a popular notion today. But that flies absolutely in the face of what God actually says. God says basic human nature is not compassionate, but sinful. Psalm 14 in the Old Testament says, There is none who does good. And the passage continues, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. I'm not sharing this with you to make you depressed, <laughs> because we know there is good news. But in the book of Romans, Paul writes that people are slaves to sin. Slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Unless and before they receive the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So this, actually, is the natural, basic human nature of people. Not the popular notion to pat myself on the back, self-esteem that we're all basically good. We aren't basically good. Not only that, we are not even our own masters, are we? Sin is our master, according to Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 34, 
Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So sin masters us. In contrast, when you receive Jesus Christ and you put your complete faith and trust in his righteousness, sin will have no dominion or mastery over you. Praise God. Now, many people do good things, but they don't worship God. And their motivation for doing these good works are still tainted by sin. So let's go back to the illustration I gave about Ray Comfort taking people through the Ten Commandments to show how we are dead in sin. Our predicament is that we stand guilty of breaking God's law. And if you break one, you've broken them all, remember? James 2.10 tells us that whoever keeps the whole law and fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And the penalty for that in God's universe is death. So we know that death is separation from God for eternity, and not just separation. It's being cast into outer darkness, utter torment forever and ever. But of course, it doesn't stop there, and this is where Ray shares the best news a person can hear. Jesus died for me. Jesus went to the cross for me. He nailed my sins to the cross. Jesus died in my place. He died to pay for my sins. Kind of sounds familiar. Now these sayings make sense. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer by any means, but now I get it, and I hope you do too. So what do we do with this understanding? I would encourage you to do three things. First, pray with great thankfulness. Get on your knees in humble gratitude for God's deliverance from the penalty of death. There's a little booklet called The Gospel Primer that Rob has given out on multiple occasions. I'd encourage you to get one. These little booklets are great. In that booklet, the writer urges people to pray the gospel to themselves every day. Just pray the gospel, the basic gospel. If you want a good summation of it, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. Just pray that to yourself every day. What a wonderful way to remind ourselves of just what our condition before God is without and unless he sent Jesus to die for us and rise again to give us new life. So pray with great thankfulness. Two, share with great compassion. When you take the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, be sure to make them aware of their standing before God. Because without a person hearing that they are dead in their sins, they won't know why they need a new standing and a new life. They, like me, won't quite get why Jesus had to die. So we pray with great thankfulness, share with great compassion, and thirdly, love with the ultimate sacrifice. Everyone wants to know that they're going to go to heaven when they die. So give them the knowledge of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, you can't change their hearts for them. We know that. But you can sure tell them the good news of Jesus Christ's ultimate sacrifice. Him becoming death instead of you. His subsequent defeat of that death. And his resurrection to new life. And he freely gives his victory to us. Which is why we can have that blessed hope. That confident expectation of eternity in the presence of the holy and perfect God. God is holy. He is also just and he's fair. 
sin and wrongdoing has to be punished. Otherwise, God wouldn't be just. A judge who pardons lawbreakers is not a good judge. Likewise, God will not overlook sin, and he doesn't treat sin as a trivial matter either. It is of grave importance. That's why the penalty is the grave. It's death. And praise be to God that he paid that penalty for us by taking on the form of a human being. He squeezed his eternity, perfection, into a tiny little body. And then he suffered the death that we deserve. And his death set us free from the penalty of death. We didn't deserve to have him pay it. We didn't earn it. It was his plan all along. For he said in Matthew 20, even as the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. And then in Hebrews 9, he, meaning Jesus, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How can we not give all praises to him? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that we can come here this morning and come right before you, gather together, and worship you, worship what you did, what you continue to do. Lord, that you give us the promise and the hope of eternity with you because you paid the penalty and you paid the price for us. We thank you. We thank you for this time. Would you bless this time and enable us to bless you as well? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Once again, we see that Jesus provides what God requires. God requires a penalty to be paid. He requires perfection and holiness, and Jesus came to provide what God required on our behalf. I pray this morning that if you have not yet responded in faith to that i pray that you would do so today and if you have then just continue to rejoice and share that again always take a moment to pause to consider and pray and to respond to what god is calling to you to this message we just thank god for who he is for what he's done on our behalf we'll just take a moment if you would just have heads bowed and and say father cover my sins please would you respond to what the spirit may be calling you today you are a good Father who knows exactly what we need. And we just thank you for sending your Son to be that substitute for us. For he took upon himself our sin. He was that goat, so to speak. All of our sins was placed on him. And in that place, his righteousness was placed on us. And we thank you. Lord, may we never forget what it cost for eternity. Lord, may we rejoice in that. May we respond with gratitude. And Father, may others hear the good news and turn and taste and see that God is good. We thank you for this opportunity just to give of our monies and our things that you have given back. You've been a gracious, generous God. May we also give with a cheerful heart. May we continue to share this message. We pray and thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.